shot down a British airplane. Time to kill. I felt sick. I slumped against the radar machine that searched the skies for targets. We had shot down a British airplane. I had shot down a British airplane. Maybe not all by myself, but I had helped. Was the artillery shell that hit the bomber one of the ones I had hauled over? Simon had been shot down just like this by an anti-aircraft emplacement outside Berlin, and now I had done the same thing to someone else. I didn't know how many RAF officers were on that bomber. Were they already dead, or were they parachuting into enemy territory? Whichever it was, I killed them, whether it was now or later. I joked with Simon that I had a deal with Allied bombers. I didn't shoot at them, and they didn't shoot at me. But now I had shot at them. It had always been a kind of joke, but deep down I'd really believed it, that no British bomb would ever kill me. Now all deals were off. Another bomb hit the same building across the street, cratering the lot and knocking us all off our feet. I hauled myself up on the radar machine and found myself staring at a panel of knobs and readouts for calibrating the thing. I did the German look to make sure I was alone, then twisted every dial I could way out of position. If we hit anything now, it would be by complete and utter accident. The AA gun kept up a steady pace. Boom, 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 boom. At optimum speed, we were supposed to be getting off 15 to 20 rounds per minute, but because it was our first night, and because we were all 13 to 17 years old, it was probably more like 5 to 7 rounds per minute. But that was still too many shots at British bombers for my taste. I snuck another peek at my watch. 3.27. I still had time to kill, which I suddenly realized was a very bad way of putting it. You're missing everything, one of the boys told Fritz, and I smiled to myself. My sabotage had worked. I would have to be sure to always do that before the planes came. One of the older SRD boys, I think his name was Otmar, laughed. Come on, Quex. How do you expect to kill that scientist if you can't even shoot down a plane? One of Otmar's buddies, Erhardt, I think, though I was always getting the two boys confused, laughed and punched Otmar in the shoulder. I fumbled the handoff of my next artillery shell. Kill a scientist? What were they talking about? Fritz did the German look. He caught me gaping at them and shot Otmar, Erhardt, an angry frown, as if to say, See, be quiet. People are listening. They went back to work, and I slipped around to the other side of the AA gun to think. Was that what Fritz and Max and I guessed Earhart and Otmar had been pulled away to do? Was that what the science team meant? That they were training to, what, assassinate some scientist somewhere? And then a deeper thought struck me with all the force of an Allied bomb. Fritz and Max and Otmar and Earhart were the assassins my parents were looking for. And an allied scientist was their target. I was lost in thought when Max appeared in front of me. I know why we're not hitting anything, he snarled. Because you sabotaged the radar machine. 
Ed Cinema. I put my hands up. No, wait, I told Max. I didn't do anything. Max took a step toward me and I took two steps back. I saw you, he said. You twisted the knobs. You did it on purpose. I did the German look, hoping nobody else had heard him. Max and I were on the other side of the AA gun, the thundering, booming AA gun, and nobody else was around. But any minute, Max was going to tell the others. Unless I went on the offensive. I lunged for Max, grabbing his right arm and twisting it behind his back. He cried out in pain, then started to holler for help. I wrenched his arm up higher. Don't, I said, or I'll break it. Max writhed in my grip. You'll never get away with this, he said. He was probably right, but I didn't see any other way out. Who's the scientist you're supposed to kill? I asked. Max went still, and I felt lightheaded. So I'd been right. Fritz and Max and Otmar and Erhardt had been training to kill an allied scientist. I don't know what you're talking about, Max said. I twisted his arm. Tell me. Max cried out. I glanced around, but we were still alone, the big AA gun shielding us from being heard or seen. For now. Okay, okay. It's some Jewish scientist, Max spat out. Who? I said, wrenching his arm again. Goldsmith, Henrik Goldsmith. Then, there, at some science conference somewhere, I don't know. They haven't told us where or when, I swear. Why you? Why Fritz or Erhardt or Atma? I, I don't know, Max said. Maybe because I can speak English. I was surprised. You speak English? Max swore at me in the king's English, and I had to admit he was pretty good at it. My mind reeled. I had to tell my parents a man named Hendrik Goldsmith was the target as soon as I could. But I had to meet Simon first, help him get out of Berlin. What time was it? And what was I going to do about Max? Max took advantage of my reverie. He slammed the heel of his boot down on my toe, making me jump back. He twisted himself around and slipped free, clutching at his injured arm as he staggered back from me. I could run now. Get away while the others had to stay at their post. But then Max would wrap me out and my whole career as a spy would be over. I could never come back. I'd have to leave Germany with Simon, if that was even possible. And what about my parents? How would they get out of Berlin? Would they be captured? Killed? Worse? The Germans have a great word for seeing everything that can go wrong play out in your head. They call it Kopfkino. Head cinema. And what I saw playing out on the movie screen in my head was the end of everything. I yanked my Hitler youth dagger from its sheath. Max's eyes went wide, as if he couldn't believe I might really be an enemy agent, even though he'd caught me sabotaging the gun. He fumbled at the snap on his dagger's sheath. I should have jumped him then, but I hesitated. Could I really do this? Could I really kill another person in cold blood? Max drew his dagger, took a step toward me, and then Max exploded. 
a huge piece of shrapnel, the shredded tip of a destroyed British bomber's wing, we later found out, fell out of the sky and ripped Max in two like he was made of paper. But Max wasn't made of paper. He was made of flesh and blood and bone that exploded all over me and knocked me to the ground. One second he was there snarling at me, and the next second he was just gone. The horror of what I'd seen, what I would never ever be able to unsee, made me vomit and collapse to my knees. The stink of blood and guts and vomit filled my head, and I thought I was going to pass out. I was shaking so badly I almost couldn't move, but I had to get as far away from the carnage as I could. I dragged myself around to the other side of the gun, where the other boys were still working. Fritz saw me covered with blood and ran to me. I pointed to the other side of the AA gun, and some of the boys went to look. They came back crying and pale, and more than one of them bent over the AA gun's spidery legs to retch. I shook with both horror and guilt. I had wanted to keep Max from telling on me for sabotaging the AA gun, for pumping him for information about the science team, and now he was dead. It was hard not to think I'd caused it somehow, that my wishing him quiet had killed him. Dully, I remembered that I was supposed to be somewhere else. I wiped Max's blood from the glass on my wristwatch. 3.40. It would take me longer than five minutes to get to my rendezvous with Simon. I was going to be late. I turned to go. And that was when the Edelweiss pirates attacked. Pirates of the Edelweiss The Edelweiss pirates came streaming out of a nearby alley, screaming, Eternal war, visi Hitler youth! The AA gun team was still reeling from Max's death, and we were slow to understand what was going on. The Edelweiss pirates were on us before we could think, attacking with clubs and broken bottles and daggers. The SRD had been conducting more and more raids on the cinemas and pool halls and pubs where the Edelweiss pirates hung out all day, and this was their payback, attacking us when we least expected it, when the numbers were in their favor. Sorry if it hurts, mates. Sorry if it can't stay, they sang. We are Edelweiss pirates, and we're on our way. We march by banks of Ruhr and Rhine, and smash the Hitler youth in twain. Our song is freedom, love, and life. We are pirates of the Edelweiss. A boy hit me in the back with a table leg, and I crumpled to the ground. It was the wake-up call I needed. My shock over Max's death washed away like blood under peroxide, replaced by the adrenaline rush of a fist fight. The pirate came at me again, and I swept out a leg, knocking him to the ground. I threw myself on top of him before he could get up again, pinning the hand that held the table leg to the ground. He looked up at me in abject horror, probably because I was covered in Max's blood and guts. I used his momentary shock to crack a fist across his face, and he passed out. As I climbed up off him, I was surprised to realize I recognized him. He was the boy who'd run off crying when he was kicked out of the Hitler Youth trials because of his asthma. All around me, the AA gun team was swarmed by Edelweiss pirates. 
Like me, the rest of the Hitler Youth Boys had started slow and wobbly, but just as quickly their weakness had been knocked out of them. They were fighting back in earnest now, many of them with their Hitler Youth daggers in hand. I snatched mine up from where I dropped it and checked my watch. 3.46. I was officially late and I hadn't even left yet. Simon would be standing in the shadows of the alley, hoping not to be caught by a passing air raid patrol while he waited for me. I had to get to him. I threaded my way through the melee, stopped to defend myself against a boy with a broken bottle. I had just driven him off when I saw Fritz surrounded by three Edelweiss pirates. Two of them had clubs, and the other had a knife. Fritz was doing everything I'd taught him to do in a fight. Right stance, right balance, right defensive position. But not even I could fend off three boys like that, especially if they were all a head taller than me, as they were to little three cheeses tall Fritz. If somebody didn't help him, he was going to get really hurt, maybe even killed. I glanced at my watch again and back at Fritz. Fritz, who hadn't talked to me in days. Fritz, who threw himself into pool halls looking for fights. Fritz, who was part of a secret mission to kill a Jewish scientist. Fritz, who had saved my life. I cursed in German, then in English, and threw myself at the boy with the knife. I drove him headfirst into the paved street, and he howled. Fritz had already gone after one of the other two, ducking a swing from the boy's club and jabbing at his leg with his dagger. I ran at the remaining boy from the side, knocking him to the ground. He swung his club at me and it glanced off the side of my head. My temple exploded with pain. I put a hand to the throbbing, tender lump on my head and rolled away. The pirate twisted and raised his club to hit me again, but he screamed and jolted as if someone had just stuck a cattle prod in his back. It was Fritz. He kicked the boy in the back again and the pirate dropped his club and writhed in pain. Fritz reached down and helped me up. He didn't look as wild or bloodthirsty as he had when he'd led the pool hall raid or the attack on Herr Professor Dr. Major Melcher. He looked cold, hard. The exploding bombs, the AA gun, the evisceration of Max, the ambush by the Edelweiss pirates. This was war. We weren't playing games anymore, and we both knew it. Thanks. I told him. You too, he said. Fritz ran to help another Hitler youth beset by Edelweiss pirates, and I looked at my watch. 4.02. I was very, very late now. I ran. Gone. It took me only ten minutes to run what would usually have taken me fifteen even dodging all the fires and craters and piles of rubble in the streets. But it didn't matter. When I got to the rendezvous point, Simon was already gone. Operation Paperclip I sat with my mother and father in Da's office, waiting for word that Simon had somehow reached the next rendezvous point outside Berlin. He hadn't come back to the embassy last night, which meant he'd tried to make it on his own. Or he'd been captured. The morning sun was just breaking through the smog of dust and smoke that hung over the city. 
I hadn't slept since I'd come home from the air raid. I'd been too worried about Simon, too guilt-stricken over missing my appointment. Da and Ma had understood, had told me it wasn't my fault, that they had expected too much of me. But that only made it worse. I wanted to be able to handle whatever they asked me to do, and more. I wanted to be better than everybody thought I was. I wanted them to think of me as an adult, not a kid who couldn't cut it. Henrik Goldsmith. Henrik Goldsmith, Ma said, pacing the floor. She was as worried as I was that Simon had been captured, but she had turned her nervous energy to the problem of the lead I'd brought home. The one thing I'd done right all night. Goldsmith's a physicist. Dutch. Got out of the Netherlands right before Hitler invaded. He works for the Americans now, under atomic bomb project. What's an atomic bomb? I asked. Ma shook her head. Some kind of super bomb. I've only heard rumors. It may not even be possible. But if it is, it'll change everything. Even more than that jet fighter. I shrank farther into my chair at the mention of the jet fighter plans, which might be in the hands of the Nazis right now, along with Simon. The real question, said Ma, is how in the world did the Nazis think they can assassinate Goldschmidt when he's in some secret military laboratory in the States? Here, I knew I'd read his name recently, Da said. He'd been combing through old issues of the Nazi newspapers he'd saved, and had finally found the article he'd been looking for. There's a science conference in the Swiss Alps in two days' time, and Goldsmith's supposed to be here. Ma grabbed up the newspaper and read the article. But why would an Allied scientist come to Switzerland in the middle of the war? I asked. Exchange of ideas, progress of science, Da suggested. Operation Paperclip, Ma said under her breath. Operation what? I said, paperclip, a secret allied operation to recruit or kidnap, if necessary, Nazi scientists. He must be coming here to recruit someone at a conference. They should be perfectly safe, Da said. The Germans would never strike inside Switzerland's borders. It would violate their neutrality. Moss snorted. The Nazis don't care a fig for neutrality. Just ask Denmark. The only reason the Nazis don't attack Switzerland is because tanks don't go up mountains. Switzerland had declared its neutrality right at the start of the war, just like Spain and Sweden, and Ireland. But tiny Switzerland was right on Germany's southern border, wedged in between occupied France and fascist Italy. Germany had left Switzerland alone for now, going around the Alps instead of through them. They probably figured Switzerland would just give in when Germany took over the rest of the world. In any event, Ma said, the Swiss aren't about to let any German soldiers in. Which is why the Nazis are sending children, Das said with disgust. The science team, I said. It's brilliant, Ma said. The Swiss will let them ride in, and then they can assassinate Goldsmith. We have to get word to British intelligence, I said. The conference is in two days, Ma said. We can't possibly get a message out in time. By the time London gets our diplomatic packet, Goldsmith will already be at the conference, and it will take even longer to get word to him or anybody else who can help. Best I could do is call up London and just tell them, Da said. 
But you know as well as I do that the phones are bugged. The Gestapo would be on us before we could make it out the front door. But we can't just let them kill him, I said. After being the one to discover who the Nazis were planning to assassinate, I didn't want what I'd learned from Max to mean nothing after all. The phone rang, and I jumped. It had to be someone calling about Simon. The missing line. Da snatched the phone receiver up and listened. Yes, she's right here, he said, and handed the phone to my mother. Yes, she said in German. I see, I see. Yes, it's all right. You can deliver the wine another time, then. Yes, thanks. She set the receiver down and took a deep breath. Simon didn't make the riverboat that was to take him to Oranienburg, Ma said, decoding her conversation for us. He must have been captured. Simon's ship had literally sailed without him. My stomach folded in on itself, and tears sprang to my eyes. I couldn't help it. It wasn't just because I liked Simon, thought of him like a brother. It was because it was my fault he'd been captured. If the shrapnel hadn't hit Max, if the Edelweiss pirates hadn't attacked, if I hadn't stopped to help Fritz. I replayed the whole night in my head, trying to make it come out differently each time. But every time, it was the same. Every time I ended up in that alleyway alone, hands on my knees, tears in my eyes, blood on my hands. Ma put a hand on my shoulder. I was about to fall into her arms, cry into her shoulder the way I had when I was a little boy, and fell and scraped my knee. But before she could put her arms around me, the air raid sirens howled again. It was the Americans turned to bomb us. I stood wearily from my chair and dragged a blood-stained sleeve across my eyes. I had an AA gun to man. No, Michael, Da said. You can't go out again. Not after last night. You need rest, a bath, bed. I have to, I told him. They'll notice if I'm gone. They'll report me. Then let them report you. We should never have brought him here with us, Da told Ma. He's too young. The war's been too hard on him. We should have left him in Ireland. No, I said. No, I can do this. I just, I just messed up last night. I'm sorry. I have to go. I staggered out the back door, mostly so I wouldn't have to leave with my parents and the staff through the front door and let them see me cry. I wanted to be here in Berlin working as a spy, helping the Allies. If I'd stayed back home in Ireland... I would just be in school, maybe helping collect rubber and paper and metal for the war effort. I wouldn't be helping the Allies bomb factories or steal secret jet fighter plans. But now they weren't going to get the plans. The blueprints for Project 1065 had been lost with Simon. Unless I could reconstruct them, redraw them from memory. Words and numbers and images flashed by in my head. Could I do it? Could I remember all of it? I didn't know if I could without Simon. A dark figure lunged at me from the shadows in the alley behind the embassy. I started to cry out, but the man slapped a hand over my mouth. I looked up at him, and my eyes went wide. It was Simon!
Einbundstrasse. Simon looked shrunken and pale. He bent over double at the waist, a hand wrapped around his stomach like he'd eaten a bad bratwurst. I immediately turned him toward the back door and helped him climb the stairs. The staff had already cleared out because of the air raid. That's why Simon had waited until then to come back to the house. I led him to the little hidden closet at the back of Da's office, signaled for him to wait, as if he could go anywhere, and ran to catch my parents before they went down into the bunker. I was so giddy, I was practically hopping. I couldn't believe it. Simon was alive. I hadn't gotten him captured by the Gestapo after all. Da! Ma! I cried. The staff was with them, and everybody stopped to find out what was wrong. I panted from my run, trying to think how to tell them Simon was back without alerting the staff. That, that wine you were trying to have delivered? I said, remembering the coded conversation Ma had had with her contact on the phone. It's made it, after all. They left it at the back door. Da and Ma shared a startled look. I'll see to it, said Mrs. Keller, the housekeeper. No, no. Da said, No, I forbid any of the staff to risk their lives over a case of wine, no matter how expensive it is. Get to the bunkers. Michael and I'll see to it. Mrs. Keller and the others protested, but Da sent them away. Ma gave us a hopeful look before going with the staff to make sure none of them came back. Da and I rushed back to the secret closet, where Simon lay slumped against the bookcases. Good God! Are we happy to see you, Da said. What happened? Simon told us how he'd waited at the rendezvous point for me past our meeting time, and my ears burned hot with shame. I started to apologize, but Simon held up a hand. I heard a patrol coming, so I decided to try to make it on my own. I'd studied the maps. I thought I could do it. I made it halfway across the city, but at some point I must have made a wrong turn. I was supposed to be on Friedrichstrasse, but instead I somehow ended up on Einbahnstrasse. I doubled back trying to find Friedrichstrasse, and that's when they spotted me. Da and I glanced at each other, and I wondered which of us was going to be the first to tell him. What? Simon asked. That probably was Friedrichstrasse, Da told him. No, I'm telling you the sign said Einbahnstrasse. Einbahnstrasse means one-way street, I explained. That was Friedrichstrasse. You just saw the sign that said it was one-way, not a sign with a street name on it. Simon closed his eyes and thunked his head back against the bookshelves. Well, I suppose I should have learned a little more German while I was holed up here, shouldn't I? Simon told us a Hitler Youth Patrol had spotted him, and when he didn't heed their calls, they chased him through the streets. Almost lost them, he said. But one of the boys stayed on my tail, cornered me in an alley. He couldn't have been more than ten years old. I had my pistol, but I'm afraid I didn't have it in me to shoot him. He was just a boy. He didn't have any similar reservations about using his dagger on me, though. Simon pulled his hand away from his stomach. His shirt and hand were covered with blood. Good God, why didn't you say something? Da said, and he went for the alcohol and bandages. What about the plans? I asked Simon. 
He pulled them out from inside his shirt. A little bloody, but still intact, I think, he said. I sighed with relief. Simon was alive, and the plans were safe. His ship may have sailed, but Ma could arrange another one in time. Da came back with the medical kit. Bombs began to fall outside, shaking the books on the shelves. Ah, Simon said as Da bandaged him. They're playing my song. I have to get to the bunker, or someone from the SAF will come looking for me, Da said. I'll be fine with Michael, Simon replied. I can talk him through patching me up. We're glad you're still alive, Da said, shaking Simon's hand. So am I, as it happens, said Simon. Da left, and Simon peeled back his torn and bloody shirt. I paled. Simon, I'm so sorry, I told him. Tears sprang to my eyes. I should have been there. I shouldn't have. Simon put up a hand. I've never once been part of a covert action that went according to plan, he said. He waved his hand to encompass himself and the little closet he was hidden in. Case in point, how I got here in the first place. I'm sure you would have been there if you could. Simon showed me how to clean his wound, which he bore with gritted teeth. We figured out who's going to be assassinated, I said to distract him. I told him all about Goldsmith and the science conference, Fritz and the so-called science team. It's your little friend who's going to be doing the assassinating, Simon said. I nodded. And there's no time to get word back to London. The conference is in two days. Which means you've got to get on that science team, Simon said. You have to go to Switzerland and stop it yourself. An opening on the team. I froze. What? Me? Join the science team. But, but how? You said this boy, Max. He was part of the team, but he was killed. I felt the blood drain out of my head and my skin crawl as I saw it again. The shrapnel falling, slicing into Max. The blood, the guts. Yes, I said quietly. He was killed. So there's an opening on the team, Simon said. Yes, yes, Simon was right. With Max dead, they would be looking to replace him on the team. That's true, I told Simon, breathless. And Max said he was on the team because he could speak English. Which you do almost as well as an Englishman, Simon said, poking a little fun to disguise his discomfort. I nodded. I could do this. I could join the science team with Fritz. And I didn't know how yet, but I could stop whatever it was they were planning. I had to. No matter what Simon said, it was my fault he hadn't made it out of Berlin. My fault he'd been stabbed by a Hitler youth boy on patrol. My fault he was cooped up again in the secret closet in my father's study. I was going to prove that he and my parents could trust me the next time they needed me. I just had to get onto that team. I heard the pock, pock, pock of the anti-aircraft guns. My troop would already be at their stations. They may already be choosing a replacement, I said. I have to get to my AA gun. Go, Simon told him. Go, I'll be fine. Just do whatever it takes to get yourself on that team.
The man from Nantucket. I spent the entire air raid reciting English limericks. There once was a farmer from Leeds who swallowed a packet of seeds, I sang, as I hauled ammunition to the AA gun. It soon came to pass he was covered with grass, but has all the tomatoes he needs. The other boys stared at me as though I was insane. My jokes were bombing more than the airplanes overhead. I had to admit they might have gone over better if any of them understood English. I carried on undaunted. There once was a man from Nantucket who kept all his cash in a bucket. But his daughter named Nan ran away with a man and asked for the bucket? Nantucket! I laughed at my own joke, which got me more stares. Wait, here's another, I said, handing off another round for the 88. A funny old bird is the pelican. His beak can hold more than his belly can. He can take in his beak enough food for a week, but I don't know how the hell he can. Fritz pulled me aside. What are you doing? He asked me in German. What I was doing was trying to remind SS Übersturmführer Trumbauer that I was fluent in English, in case he had forgotten. The SS man was there overseeing our AA gun, but I couldn't explain that to Fritz. I just went back to work. Dozens more limericks and Englishmen, Scotsmen, and Irishmen jokes later, the air raid was over. We had survived round two with the Allied bombers. I had just started to sing Danny Boy for everybody when SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer had us line up for our orders. Sir, yes, sir, I said in English, and I gave my most enthusiastic salute. How Hitler? Trumbauer nodded at me. Fritz looked at me strangely. It's time to march, Trumbauer said. We will only go to the bridge and back, so we are not too far away, should there be another air raid. Sir, Fritz said, am I excused to work on our special SRD training? Special assassination training, he meant. I knew that now. Yes, of course, Quex, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer said. And we need to select a replacement for Max after he died for Germany, don't we? I licked my lips. Here we go, I thought. My chance to join the science team. Train well, Fritz, I said in English. I pretended to catch myself and smacked my forehead. I'm sorry, I said in German. Sometimes I forget and just to say things in English. It is my first language, after all. Fritz gave me another confused look. I admit I was being pretty obvious about it, but I didn't want Trumbauer to pass me over. Trumbauer walked down the line toward me. I stood tall, stuck out my chest, and the SS man walked right past me. Horst Furtner, step forward, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer said. You have been selected for an elite SRD mission. Horst? Horst? The donkey-faced ogre from our Jungfolk group? How in the world could he be selected for the science team over me? He didn't know a word of English, and he was proud of it. Horst jumped out of the line and threw his arm into the air in a fervent Nazi salute. Thank you, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer. I would die for the Fatherland. I know you would, Horst, Trumbauer said with an appreciative nod. Please join Fritz. He will show you the training ground.
Kalila! Horst yelled, and Trumbauer returned the salute. Are, are you sure you don't run me instead? I blurted out in German. Fritz turned with a frown, as if I was being a fool to speak out when I wasn't supposed to. I probably was, but I needed to join that team. I am quite confident in the choice I have made, Mr. O'Shaughnessy, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer said icily. Fritz gave me a quick shake of the head and turned back to Trumbauer waiting to be dismissed. I cursed inwardly. How was I going to get on that science team? Just to be sure that the two of you are back this afternoon, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer told them. They have been invited to a very special event. Whatever it was, it was so special he swelled with joy. Trumbauer was practically glowing. I wondered if the Nazis had finally gotten so desperate that they were going to give us tanks and turn us loose on the Allies. But no, it was worse. Much, much worse. This afternoon, SS Obersturmführer Trumbauer told us, this afternoon... We have the great and glorious honor of hearing the Führer speak to us in person. Evil Leprechaun We stood in a street outside the old Reich Chancellery. Adolf Hitler ruled the German nation from this building just as the president of the Weimar Republic had before him and the emperor of Prussia before him. The main building was all white columns and tall windows and black gabled roof, like the country house of a European king. Connected to it were modern buildings added by the Nazis, square gray towers with flat roofs, which housed the administrative clerks and officials that formed the octopus-like arms of the government. The Nazis loved their Amtschimmel, their bureaucratic mildew. The stacks and stacks of government paperwork they used to document every little thing. In English, we called it red tape. If the Allies managed to hit the Reich Chancellery with a bomb, it wouldn't rain brick and ash. It would rain burning papers. But the Chancellery still looked immaculate. I didn't know how they did it. It was brilliant white in a city filled with dust and gray smoke and covered in crisp, clean, red, white, and black swastika flags. But the more I stared at the building, the more I realized there was something off. Most of the flags hung from the usual places, beneath awnings and under windows and over arched walkways. But some of the flags hung in odd places, like between windows and on the roof. One of the oddly placed flags fluttered in the wind, and I saw behind it the wall was cracked and crumbling. The Reich Chancellery had taken damage from Allied bombs after all. The Nazis had just draped swastikas over the damage, hiding it the same way they covered up their recent defeats in Stalingrad and Northern Africa. SS officers surrounded us, members of Hitler's personal guard. The boys around me grew tense, straighter, stood taller. Even I caught myself straining to see around the guards. To see Hitler in person the great boogeyman that had bedeviled Europe and the rest of the world was like catching a glimpse of a leprechaun, a very, very evil leprechaun. But it wasn't Hitler who pushed through the guards. It was Artur Oxman, the head of the Hitler Youth. 
You could almost feel a silent collective groan from the boys. None of us had met Oxman, but none of us particularly wanted to. He was the one who wrote all the ridiculous speeches and silly directives that our youth leaders read to us during our weekly Hitler Youth meetings. Oxman looked as dumb as his weekly pronouncements, like a thug in an officer's uniform. Welcome, welcome, Oxman said quickly. This is a great day for you, a great day indeed. To meet me and meet Zafir. I hope you all appreciate what an honor this is. You will tell your grandchildren of this day. I may be your inspiration, your mentor, your second father, but the superimposing leader of all desires of youth is Adolf Hitler. I fought a powerful urge to roll my eyes. And then the Fuhrer himself was there. Adolf Hitler. Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a few inches shorter than all of his guards. The first thing you noticed about him was his pale face and his long rat-like nose with that bushy little mustache under it. His dark brown hair swept down across his forehead to just above his eyes, which were baggy and tired looking. Maybe it was from the long hours spent running a world war. Or maybe he couldn't sleep for all the bombs the Allies dropped on him day and night. He wore the brown uniform and red swastika armband of the German army. But unlike everybody else in Germany who were so mad for medals that they bought them from shops, Hitler wore only one. The Iron Cross first class he'd won for bravery in World War I. I knew because I'd had to memorize that fact to pass my Hitler Youth initiation. Hitler blinked in the bright sunlight of the late winter afternoon like a hedgehog emerging from hibernation. How Hitler! Oxman cried. We all overcame our momentary astonishment at seeing the Fuhrer in person and threw our right arms in the air. How Hitler! We cried. I felt like a traitor, but this was no time to take a stand. I had to pretend to love him the same way everybody else did. Hitler smiled at us like an affectionate old grandfather. Your name, my Fuhrer, is the happiness of youth, Oxman said. Your name, my Fuhrer, is for us everlasting life. He was laying it on a bit thick, I thought, but Hitler must have been used to it from everybody he met. He nodded to Oxman, which somehow also seemed to communicate that it was time for him to shut up. Oxman took the hint and faded back among the towering elite SS guards. Hitler looked out over us. Now each and every one of us really was standing as straight and tall as we could get, even me. I needed to blend in, it was true, but there was something about the man that made you want to appear perfect in his eyes. Maybe it was fear. The older ones are used up, Hitler said. He spoke so softly at first that we had to lean in to hear him, which was a good trick, I realized. We are rotten to tomorrow. We are cowardly and sentimental. No, some of the boys called out. Hitler held up a hand to quiet them. It is true. We adults bear the burden of a humiliating past and have in our blood 
is a dull recollection of serfdom and servility. But, my magnificent youngsters, Hitler said, gazing out lovingly at all of us, are there any finer ones in the world? Look at these young men and boys. What material? With you, I can make a new world. This is the heroic stage of youth. Out of it will come the creative man, the man-god, you. A tingle thrilled through me, despite how much I hated him. To hear someone tell you that you will rebuild the world, that you will be a hero, a man-god, was a powerful thing. I wanted to do all that, to be all that, just not for Hitler and the Nazis. You, my youth, are our nation's most precious guarantee for a great future. Hitler's voice rose as he went on. The thousand-year right. You are destined to be the leaders of a glorious new order under the supremacy of National Socialism. Never forget that one day you will rule the world. The boys around me broke out in a spontaneous, Sing higher! Learn, while you are still young, that life for you must mean sacrifice. Sacrifice of your personal freedom. Sacrifice of your free time. Sacrifice of many of the small pleasures of life. I turned to look at Fritz, who stood beside me. He wasn't looking at Hitler just then. He had his eyes to the ground just beyond the Fuhrer, as though something Hitler said had him lost in thought. To do so, you must be violently active, dominating, intrepid, brutal. Hitler's voice rose and fell, ebbing and flowing like the Irish Sea. It was captivating, impossible to ignore. Youths must be indifferent to pain. There must be no weakness in you, no tenderness. You must learn to do without, to endure criticism and injustice, to be reliable, discreet, decent, and loyal. You must be as swift as greyhounds, tough as leather, as hard as crop steel. I noticed Hitler didn't say anything about being smart. Intelligence had no place in the Hitler Youth, or in Nazi Germany, for that matter. But Fritz was nodding emphatically beside me. Whatever it was he'd been thinking about, he'd made up his mind. Hitler started in on how the tide of the war would soon turn in Germany's favor again, and I tuned out. From the corner of my eye, I watched Fritz and Horst and Ottmar and Erhardt, the four boys on the science team. They quivered as Hitler spoke, like five-year-olds so anxious to open their presents on Christmas morning they were going to puke. They were euphoric, ecstatic. They could barely control themselves. Tears filled their eyes. Not everyone was like that, I realized. Everyone was a little awestruck, but those four looked like they were about to drop to their knees and kiss the ground Hitler walked on. Every time he talked about tossing Germany's enemies back into the sea or smashing the Russians, they were the first and the loudest to shout, Heil Hitler! And that's when I finally understood. 
That's when I knew why Fritz and Horst and Otmar and Erhardt were on the science team. And why I wasn't. Super Nazis. They're fanatics, I told Simon. After getting home from the Hitler rally, I burst into my house and run straight to the secret room. That's why they were recruited. Because they're zealots. You should have seen these four guys. It was like God himself had come down from on high to talk to them. I saw it in their faces. Heard it in their shouts. It's like a religion for them. They believe Hitler's nonsense. Aryan supremacy. The Jewish threat. World domination. All of it. So, speaking English has nothing to do with it, Simon said. No. They love Hitler so much they would do anything for him. Kill for him. Die for him. To get on that team, all I have to do is prove to them I'm a super Nazi. I just don't know how. Simon nodded. I know how, he said. You have to turn me in. No joke. You have to turn me in. Simon's words hung in the air like a bomb waiting to explode. No, I said. Never. My parents joined us in the secret room and Simon told them his idea. I won't do it, I said. I can't. It would ruin everything. What about Project 1065? If Simon's caught, the Allies will never get the jet fighter plans. You'll have to take those with you to Switzerland, Simon said. You can give them to Professor Goldsmith to take back to the Allies after you stop his assassination. I threw my hands up, because that wouldn't be dangerous at all. If I got caught with the plans for Project 1065, I wouldn't even make it to Switzerland to save Goldsmith. But that wasn't nearly the biggest problem with this plan. You'll get in trouble too, I told my parents. Don't know you hit him here. Da nodded. Ma sat down slowly in Da's desk chair. They were on the fence, I could tell. But the fact that they were even considering this was crazy. I stood and went to my parents. We can't do this, I said to Ma. You told me before, it's too valuable to give up everything you've worked for just for one man. And Goldsmith's just one man. One man who may know how to build an atomic bomb, Ma said. Not to mention that this could finally get those jet fighter plans into the hands of the Allies. We just have to decide if it's worth trading one for the other. The decision is whether or not we can put our son in that kind of danger, Da said. He can do it. I know he can, Simon said. It's what I'd wanted to hear, what I'd longed to hear, that I was good enough to be a proper spy. But now I didn't want it. Not if it meant giving up Simon to the Nazis. Michael, you have to save Professor Goldsmith, Simon said. The only way you can do it is to get on that team. And the only way you can get on that team is to do something so radical they automatically promote you. Like the boy who turned in his parents. And you'll be doing him one better. You'll be turning in a British spy who also just happens to be a Jew. I shook my head. I felt sick like I might throw up or cry. I'd had fun sneaking around and writing coded messages. Memorizing the plans for Project 1065 had been fun too. Up until now, it had all been a game. 
Kim's game, the game of spies. But if I turn Simon in, if I turn my parents in, this wouldn't be a game anymore. This would be real. We were talking about real sacrifice here, and not my sacrifice. The sacrifice of people I loved and cared about. You'll be sent to a concentration camp, I told my parents, my voice cracking. No, Da said. We'll be long gone. I frowned. What was he talking about? I want out, Michael, Da said. I want all of us out. It's too dangerous. The tide is turned with the German defeat at Stalingrad. The Nazis are like cornered animals, savage, wild. Putting 13-year-olds in charge of anti-aircraft guns. Sending 17-year-olds to the front lines. I don't know how much longer the war will last. Another year, two, three. But the longer it lasts, the more abominable the Nazis will become. One way or another, we will die if we stay here. I've already talked it over with your mother. Ma nodded, her lips pursed. We were going to put in for a transfer, she explained. But if we turn Simon in to get Michael on the team, there won't be time for that. We'll have to sneak out. I'll get in touch with my network. By the time Simon is taken into protective custody, your father and I will have disappeared. It'll make us look more to guilty anyhow, and you more to hero. But you said it would take weeks to set up another escape route for Simon, I said, desperately trying to find a logical reason to cancel this crazy plan. And now you're going to escape? Yes, Ma said. We'll be winging it, to be sure. But I know the network, and the both of us know the territory. Da nodded at her. Simon didn't, and we have diplomatic immunity, which might count for something if we're caught. It's the Nazis! Diplomatic immunity won't count for anything, and you know it. If you're caught, you'll be killed. I was on the verge of tears again. We'll be killed if we stay, Da said. I paced restlessly. And Simon? I asked. Simon bowed his head. No one else answered the question, so I did for them. He'll be sent to a concentration camp, I said. I saw it all in my head cinema. Torture, interrogation, imprisonment, all the horrible things everybody knew happened at the concentration camps, but we didn't let ourselves think about. Da signaled for me to sit and be quiet, and Ma went to the door to make sure none of the staff were listening in. I sat back down in my chair, my chest heaving, my hands balled into fists. I desperately wanted to hit something. Did you hear the one about the Englishman? The Irishman and the Scotsman, who were all sentenced to a year in prison? Simon asked. I don't want to hear any jokes, I told him. He was trying to calm me down, but I didn't want to be calm. I'm not turning you in, Simon. It's not worth it. Simon got serious. Michael, the atomic bomb program is perhaps the most important project of the entire war. Maybe of all time. If this thing does what people think it will, it will change the way wars are fought. It will change the whole world. Far more than any jet fighter plans. Every night, the British drop tens of thousands of bombs on Berlin, and it still stands. With an atomic bomb, you drop just one, and it destroys an entire city. If there can be such a thing as an atomic bomb, it's vital the Allies build one first. 
and Professor Goldsmith is vital to its creation. Da took a deep breath and nodded. Then we do it. Ma took my hand and nodded her agreement. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I pulled my hand away and stood, but I didn't yell. No, I can't. I won't. There has to be another way, I told them. And I left to go find it. A walking A-bomb. People stepped off the sidewalk to avoid me as I walked through the streets of Berlin. I liked to think it was the angry aura around me, the clenched fists that told them not to bump into me or there'd be a fight. That I was a walking atomic bomb ready to go off and level this stinking city any second. The truth was, of course, it was the uniform that made them scared. But I pretended they could feel the rage coming off of me in waves, like I could warp the world with my fury. I wished I could. Turn in, Simon. Send my parents on the run. How could they really think that was the answer? How did they really think I could do that? I had to find another way to get on that team. My feet took me to Fritz's house before I even understood my idea. It wasn't a particularly good idea, but it was all I could think of, all that made it through the white noise of outrage screaming in my head like an air raid siren. Fritz was the answer. He had to be. He and I were friends, of a sort. We had been friends once, briefly. True, over the last couple of weeks we'd grown apart, and not just because he'd been spending most of his free time with the science team. It was more than that. Fritz was changing, becoming something different, something I didn't like. But that boy who'd asked me to help him be stronger... That boy who'd helped me be stronger. The boy who dragged me upstairs to share his detective novels with me. That boy, that friend, had to still be in there somewhere. And that friend would see the light. That friend would help me save the scientist. Fritz's sister, Lena, met me at the door. Hello, future wife, I said. Is my future brother-in-law home? Lena didn't say a word but opened the door wider for me to come inside. She pointed not upstairs where Fritz's room was, but down the first floor hallway to the back of the house. I went down the hall to the kitchen at the back of the house, but Fritz wasn't there. I sniffed. I thought I smelled smoke, but the oven wasn't on and there was nothing on the stove. I caught a glimpse of a dark gray cloud curling into the sky through the window in the back door, and I stepped outside. Fritz was in the backyard, throwing his collection of detective novels into a bucket full of... Flames.